Mark. The Gospel of Mark chapter 10. We're going to finish that out this morning. And we're going to look particularly at verses 46 to 52. 46 to 52. And so just allow me to read those verses. I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we will work through our text together. John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he penned these words. Just by way of reminder, the Holy Spirit has preserved these words so that we can read them and trust them this morning as Deer Park Fellowship. Word of the Lord says this, Now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still, and he commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling to you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word. God, to think through what it is that you as the divine author communicating to us, Lord. So again, thank you for inspiring your word. Thank you for preserving your word. Thank you that your word has the power to shape our hearts. And so we just confess our dependence upon you. And we love you in Christ's name. Amen. So like I said, this morning we are finishing uh, chapter 10 in the Gospel of Mark. And this is Mark's final record uh, of Jesus healing someone. Mark even leaves out Jesus healing the man who uh, Peter, uh, Peter chopped his ear off whenever Jesus was being arrested. He even leaves out that healing. Um, but this is the last record that we have of Jesus healing someone before he begins this um, further descent, if you will. Um, but as we saw last week, Jesus is He's on his way to Jerusalem, and our text this morning, it opens up with them arriving at Jericho and then leaving Jericho, which is really the last stretch of travel before uh, their arrival in Jerusalem. In fact, next week we're going to look at what is commonly referred to as the triumphal entry of Jesus. Uh, But Jericho, or more specifically, New Testament Jericho. If you remember, Old Testament Jericho came crashing down, right? But New Testament Jericho was about 18 miles north of Jerusalem, and it was a, uh, an oasis of sorts. It was a place for weary travelers that were headed toward Jerusalem. And, uh, and the way that our text um, left off last week, it would seem like our text this morning is a bit of an interruption 
in the narrative, the flow of the narrative, right? And um, it seems like we should pick up with Jesus having arrived in Jerusalem, but we have this healing, and, and we know as Christians that this isn't an interruption, right? That this healing of this blind man, this blind beggar, it was divinely inspired. It was a divine appointment, and Mark, under the inspiration of the Spirit, was careful to write his narrative in this way. And so we're going to look at that, and we're going to consider why that is this morning, and I'm going to go ahead and begin to work through our takeaways. And so if you're uh, taking notes alongside of me, or kids, you, you, you have your companion guide with the fill in the blank. You can write this down along with us, but it's this. Bartimaeus' story is our story, okay? The story of Bartimaeus is our story as well. First, note this, okay? Mark, he's the only one of the gospel writers that names this blind man. He's the only one of the gospel writers to do that. Matthew records that there are uh, two blind men, and, and where there's two, there's at least one, right? So no problem there, right? Luke singles one out, but he doesn't mention his name, but Mark names him. And his name is Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, but Mark mentions both Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Now, I think there's a couple of reasons why he does this. First, it's, it's um, a further indicator that the audience, the immediate audience of Mark, right, who would have been the, the original recipients of this gospel, were mostly Gentile. They would not have known the, the meaning of the name Bartimaeus. So he more specifically identifies him for the Gentile readers. However, and I think more importantly, he's named because he was already known. And perhaps certain things about him and his family would have come to mind. And Augustine, he gives us some commentary on this. He gives us some insight on this. Listen to what Augustine has to say. He said, Mark has recorded both the name of Bartimaeus and of his father, a circumstance which scarcely occurs in all the many cases of healing which has been performed by the Lord. Consequently, there can be little doubt that this Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, had fallen from some position of great prosperity and was now regarded as an object of the most notorious and most remarkable wretchedness, because in addition to being blind, he had also, uh, he had also to sit begging. Now, I don't think that Augustine is reading into the text by coming to that conclusion, and I think that we'll see why as we move through our text, but I just want us to note that uh, for now. Now, as I've said, this is the, the last uh, recorded miracle of Jesus healing someone in the gospel of Mark. After this, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, and I don't think that it's a coincidence that the nature of this particular healing preaches to us what Christ accomplished in Jerusalem through his suffering and his death and his glorious resurrection. And, and right out of the gate, what I want us to do is to compare this historical miracle, right, something that actually happened in history. I want us to compare this with what Jesus accomplished for us through his life, death, and resurrection. Think about it this way. Like Bartimaeus, we're blind on our own, right? We're blind on our own, except our blindness is an even 
worse condition than a physical blindness. It's a more severe blindness. Bartimaeus, he couldn't see physically, and and that's bad, but there's a greater blindness. There's a spiritual blindness, And, and this is the condition of every single person since the fall of the first Adam. Right? Apart from the intervening work of Jesus, this is the state of every single person ever created since the fall of Adam. It's no coincidence, for instance, that one of the messianic prophecies, right, looking to the Old Testament now, about what the Messiah was to come and to do, was to address spiritual blindness that was caused by sin. Isaiah chapter 35 Verses 4 and 5 say this, quote, Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and save you. In the next verse, Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Right? We see the ultimate fulfillment of this in Christ Jesus. And the only hope that we have is that we would be called, right? That the Lord would call us as He called blind Bartimaeus and and, and heal us of our spiritual blindness. That He would call us out of darkness, as Peter puts it, and into His marvelous what? Light. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And this is what Jesus did in Jerusalem. This is what Jesus did in Jerusalem. He definitively accomplished his mission of seeking and saving the lost, which is seeking and saving the spiritually blind. And by the Spirit of God applying the person and work of Jesus to us, we really are given spiritual sight. We're given eyes to see. And what are those eyes for? What are those eyes for? We'll talk about this more in just a moment. But our spiritual sight was given to us so that we may behold our God. Right? You've heard me say this time and time again, but we can't think ourselves into heaven. That's not the, that's not the path to, to heaven. That's not the path to reconciliation to God. That's not the path of how we get our sins forgiven. The path is a gift. The path is that moment when When the Word of God through the Spirit of God takes the scales from our eyes so that we might behold our God. This is a gift. right? This is a gift. And Bartimaeus, he, he received his physical sight. But as we'll see in just a couple of minutes, he, he also received so much more than that. This was so much more than just a physical healing. And as we contemplate his story, we see that it preaches to us what God in Christ accomplished for us. We all know the hymn, don't we? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was what? Blind. But now what? I see. That's all of grace. That's all of grace. That's not us putting spectacles on ourselves. That's not us wiping our eyes to get a clearer picture. The sight that we have, 
the site that those before us have called the happy site. It comes by grace through faith in Christ. And so it's no coincidence this encounter that Jesus had with this blind beggar preaches to us what he ultimately accomplished for us when he got to Jerusalem. He died and he resurrected so that we might see. And if it weren't for that, we would all be wandering around blind. We would all be wandering around in darkness. So we should see first and foremost as we consider this historical account that Bartimaeus' story is our story. Secondly, there's only one way to approach Jesus, and that's in humility. There's only one way to approach Jesus, and that is in humility. And we see Bartimaeus in a rather undignified way reach out to Christ. And I say undignified because he was causing a scene. He, he, he was noisy. He was literally shouting. Right? The text said that he uh, would cry out toward Jesus. He was crying out for Jesus. And as a result, there was this attempt to silence him. And this attempt to silence him was either made by the multitude or the disciples of Jesus, right? And more than likely, the disciples were involved here. You know, it may be a combination of the two, but the disciples were more than likely involved here because we saw that that was characteristic of them initially. Yet in response to this mass shushing of this man, This blind beggar, he cried out all the more. And as I read and and, and as I've read even over the course of this this week, this passage, and I've pondered this passage, the way that this man was being intercepted or shushed, it reminded me of how the little children that were being brought to Jesus were treated. Kind of like a nuisance, an interruption altogether. They're noisy. They're not contributing a whole lot. They don't seem like the type that, should, that Jesus should be wasting his time on, spending his time with. But there's some similarities between little children and blind Bartimaeus, right? Like infants, like small children, Bartimaeus, he, he genuinely had nothing to offer Jesus. Right? He had nothing to offer Jesus. Our text clearly indicates that he was sitting by a road begging. Right? We see that in verse 46. He was blind and he was truly destitute. Now, what do we see Bartimaeus calling out for? In other words, how did he address Jesus and what did he want? Well, first we need to note that he addressed Jesus in two different ways. Look back at the text with me. First we see in verse 47 that he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We see that in verse 48 as well. And this is an extraordinary way to cry out to Jesus because it's an admission of him being the Messiah. And right out of the gate, this demonstrates the insight and the faith that this man had in Jesus, right? This Jesus whom he had never seen but had heard testimony about. One theologian and commentator, he says it this way, he said, I'm fascinated by the soundness of the theology that was reflected in Bartimaeus' appeal. He knew that the Messiah, the long-promised deliverer of Israel, would come out of the family and lineage of David. In other words, he knew his Old Testament, all right? 
that he would be David's greater son, that he would be David's son, yet at the same time, David's Lord. Psalm 110.1, Matthew 22, verses 42 to 45. So there's this way in which he's already approaching Jesus, as we see in our text, in which he's, his, his admission, his confession is that Jesus is who we've waited for. Right? Jesus is who we've longed for. All of the Old Testament, right? these scriptures that were kept so sacred, they're testifying that he's the fulfillment of everything that has been said. But that's not all he says as he cries out to Jesus, as he cries out to the Christ. Right? He asks for something. Right? He asks, principally, for mercy. Right? And it's the way that he addresses Jesus, coupled with him specifically asking for mercy, that demonstrates for us his humility as he approached Jesus, or as he cried out to Jesus. Right? And this is one of the core reasons why I think Augustine was right in his assessment as to why Mark gave us the name of this man. The very nature of Bartimaeus asking for mercy gives us insight into how he viewed himself. Right? He viewed himself as deserving to be a beggar. He saw himself as deserving to be blind. And we have no way of knowing if this man was always blind or if this developed later, but his asking for mercy, it demonstrated a weighty, solemn awareness of his own sins. And I'm not saying that one is blind or one is poor because of personal sin. That's not the point. But what I'm saying is that when we view ourselves rightly and when we view God rightly, we see that we're not entitled to anything. Right? We're not entitled to anything. But given the naming of this man, given the fact that he asked for mercy, right, I think that it's safe to say that perhaps he had a reputation of sorts in the first century, and I don't think that that reputation was a good one. Again, the disciples, they tried to intercept him. They tried to shush him. They tried to keep him from Jesus. But this man cries out for mercy, and he makes it clear that Jesus owes him nothing. He's not making demands. He's crying out and he's declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. Again, demonstrating that keen theological insight. And he asks Jesus to be merciful. There's so much humility here. There's so much humility here. And isn't this such a contrast to the question that was asked by James and John that we've been looking at these last couple of weeks? Right? Isn't the way in which they approached Christ versus this blind man, aren't they just completely different approaches? After this man cries out to Jesus, and just like we saw with the little children, right, Jesus then had to speak to those that were preventing this man from coming, and he gave a commandment that Bartimaeus was to be called, that Bartimaeus could come to Christ. Verse 49 Jesus stood still and commanded, this is forceful, commanded him to be called. Listen, Jesus said, I'm not moving another step until you let this man come to me. Not going any further. And Jesus asked the man, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 51. That's a familiar question, isn't it? Because we saw Jesus ask that same question to James and John just a few verses earlier in our text when they came to him with their request. 
And Mark, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he's ensuring that we're contrasting this historical account with, with that of James and John. Right? And it's here that we see the second way this man addressed Jesus. When he's brought to Jesus and Jesus asking the question, what do you want me to do for you? The man answers, Rabbani, which is an interesting title. It's what Mary Magdalene called Jesus when she saw him resurrected. Uh, it's more than the term rabbi. Right? It, this term means my great one or my teacher. And I'll talk about that more in just a moment. But he says, my great one, my teacher, I want to see. I want to see. And get this, he doesn't ask for glory. He doesn't ask to sit at the right hand of Jesus or at the left hand of Jesus. He doesn't ask for money, though he's a beggar. Right? He doesn't come to Jesus with that request. He doesn't ask for a job. Right? He asks to have what we all enjoy and take for granted oftentimes, eyesight. Right? He wanted to see. Right? And through all of this, we see how a blind beggar approached Jesus in humility. Right? And, and, and this is the only way, as I said a moment ago, this is the only way to approach Jesus. Right? We don't approach him with demands. Right? We don't approach him as if he's some cosmic butler or a genie. Right? We approach him as our Lord and our Savior, mindful of our sinful state, entitled to nothing, entitled to nothing. And we ask for mercy, but merciful to me, a sinner, a sinner. And if it weren't for the mercy and the grace of God, we wouldn't even be able to approach him. Right? Jesus called for the man to be brought to him. Ephesians <clears throat> chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. God, who is rich in mercy. Right? It's God who's rich in mercy. Right? God who's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, right? Our spiritual state. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the what? Gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. The third and final thing I want us to note this morning is that true Christians follow Jesus not because of what they can get from him, but because they want him. True Christians follow Jesus not because of what they can get from him, but because they want him. Right, we see this example in Bartimaeus. Again, he's, he's contrasted by Mark with, James, with, with what James and John wanted, which was they, they wanted to be honored. Right? But we see in this historical account that Martimaeus, he, he got what he requested, right? He, he appealed to the mercy of Christ, and he requested his eyesight, right? But that isn't ultimately what he wanted. That's not ultimately what he wanted. And I love how our text ends because it, it makes it abundantly clear what he wanted. Look back, verse 52. Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Right? Jesus told him he could go his own way. 
but this man stayed. Right? This man followed Jesus. And where did he follow Jesus? He followed Jesus on the road of suffering. He followed Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem, where Jesus would ultimately suffer, die, and then three days later rise. Right? The man wanted Christ. He wanted Christ. Otherwise, he would have left after he was healed. Why else would he have stayed? Right? Think back to that title, Rabbani, that he called Jesus. Right? He called Jesus this before he was healed. Right? I told you that it was different than just rabbi. And the way that it was different is that it was personal. It was possessive. Bartimaeus saw himself as belonging to Jesus, and he saw Jesus as belonging to him. Now, this is an example of a heart that's changed by the gospel of God, a heart that has been captivated by the gospel of God. And what does a heart that's been captivated by the gospel of God want? It wants what it delights in. What does a heart captivated by the gospel of God delight in? It delights in Christ. It delights in Christ. Right? It's been said before that everybody wants to go to heaven. If I did a survey in the room this morning, I said, who wants to go to heaven or who wants to go to hell? We all raise our hand on the heaven part, don't we? The problem in many evangelical churches, perhaps, maybe just many self-professed evangelicals, is that we all want to go to heaven. We're just indifferent as to whether God is there when we get there. The great Puritan and tinker-turned-preacher, John Bunyan, when, when he wrote his much-beloved book, Pilgrim's Progress, while sitting in jail for his faith, one of the characters that he wrote about was Pliable. <clears throat> and it, uh, Pliable was a, a character that joins Christian, who, who's the, kind of the main character in the story, in leaving what was known as the city of destruction. And, and right at the beginning of Christian's journey, um, is when we see Pliable show up. But unlike Christian, Pliable is focused on glory. He's focused on riches. And it's apparent early on that, that the only reason Pliable joins Christian on his journey to what's called the celestial city is because of what he can potentially get from the king rather than exhibiting any desire whatsoever to be with the king. Right? And the first thing he does when the going gets tough is he turns and he leaves and he goes back to the city of destruction. And a heart changed by the gospel finds its delight, its joy, its life increasingly. Right? There's times where we're dry and there's times where we're dull and there's, there's, we're still wrestling with sin this side of eternity. Right? But our trajectory is one that as we look at the course of our life, since God's graciously saved us, it should be marked by an increasing hunger for Christ. And that's by His grace alone. End with this quote, and then John will baptize you. As soon as he received his sight, this is one commentator, he saw Jesus. And I, th you know, I think I, back to, to another blind man that was healed earlier, you know, when, when we worked through that text together earlier in Mark, I couldn't help but to think of that then, and I think of it now. You know, I wonder if the first face he ever saw in his life was his Savior's face, right? But as soon as he received his sight, he saw Jesus, and he wanted nothing more than to follow him to Jerusalem to his death. That's the desire of all who were given eyes to see and ears to hear the turret of the gospel, 
of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for time in your word. We thank you for the gospel of God. We thank you that it's more powerful than the sins we're ensnared with. Foolishness to those who are perishing, but everything to those of us that you've graciously graciously saved. So thank you for the spiritual sight that you offer in Christ. And Lord, I pray for my brother John, God. I pray, Lord, as he walks with you, God, I pray that he would flourish spiritually, that he would increasingly find his delight in you alone. So thank you, Lord, that any of us could taste and see that the Lord is good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you who, are, um, who have children that are in the children's ministry, if you would like them to see this baptism, uh, you're more than welcome to get them. Just make sure you have the proper identification. Uh, and for those of you who are not getting them, just make sure you get them before uh, our budget meeting. But we're, let me have you stand with